0: Hello everyone, this is Yulei Strate. Today I'm hosting Mark Frein as part of the Making Remote Work series. Mark worked in non-remote, hybrid, and all remote environments. In this episode, we talk about the differences, the difficulties, and also the exciting parts of all remote. We discuss leadership, what it takes to lead remote teams, and how to recruit for the right leaders. We also touch on remote coordination, reducing isolation, building a culture of care and trust so everyone can thrive in this environment. Mark Frein is the Chief People Officer for Lambda School. Prior to this, he worked in a similar role for InVision. Making Remote Work is a limited series led by the organizational design community and hosted by Skills for Mars. It is a public service video podcast in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. It will host over 20 researchers and practitioners in the field of distributed work. They will share their insights and knowledge to support companies and employees who are making this transition. If you do find these types of conversations useful, you can support the podcast by subscribing to it. To access the video podcast and subscribe for free to my YouTube channel, go to youtube.com forward slash skills for Mars and hit the subscribe button. Alternatively, you can go to skillsformars.com and click the YouTube confirm your subscription button. And now I give you Mark Frein. Hello, everyone. Today I'm welcoming Mark Frein, Chief People Officer at Lambda School. Mark, welcome to Making Remote Work.
1: Oh, thank you, Julia. I'm happy to be here.
0: Mark, could you introduce yourself, your background, your experience, and definitely if you can pinpoint your experience in remote, remote distributed working, that would be amazing.
1: Uh, uh, for sure. So i uh, Mark Frein, and um, here I am in my office in Austin, Texas. Um, this has been the place where I've worked for the most part for the last seven years. Um, I've spent most of the last decade working largely remote from um, my teams, the places that I've worked. In um, a couple of times over the last 10 years, I've also worked for exclusively remote companies. So um, prior to Lambda School, uh, I was chief people officer at a company called Envision, which is amongst the top probably three to four largest all remote companies in the world. Um, so remote work is kind of part of my blood now and my bones. Um, the only thing right now that, that is a challenging remote, remote is since we're all remote, um, by force, um, I can't get a haircut, so I'm, I'm sensitive to how badly my hair is starting to look here at home. And my, my daughter, my eight-year-old daughter is really anxious to cut my hair this weekend, which I'll have to think very carefully <laughs> about whether or not that's a good idea. But, i yeah, um,
0: you might, you might get bu- end up bald.
1: <laughs> I might, I might end up with, I might end up having to buzz, the buzz cut myself. But no, I've been, I've been, um, working largely remote for quite some time. Um, I've been, uh, thinking about not just remote work, but remote life for, um, probably 10 years. Um, I've done some writing on the subject. Uh, I've done some speaking on the subject prior to this call, obviously. And for me, it's just all about what is, um, what is changing about our lives when it comes to how we interface digitally with, um, with other people. Um, so in addition to working remote and managing my team's remote, um, I'm a musician. I've, did an album with remote band at one point. Um, I play remote. A lot of my friends and I go online and we, we do games together. So, um, I go back and think about, uh, the beginnings of all this for me were, you know, now 20 years ago, plus, um, when the first, um, massively multiplayer online role role playing games came out. And, um, for some of us, um, at least my age, uh, a Gen Xer. This was the first remote wave because all of a sudden you had a world opened up to you. It happened to be a a fantastical world like World of Warcraft, but but you began to see what was possible to connect people together to do at least at that point play um, remote. And Second Life followed on the heels of that very quickly. So for a lot of us in the world, especially in the more formal business world, this whole remote thing is very new. For some of us, especially people who have been I think on the on the gaming front, the computer gaming front, remote has been something we've been doing for a long time. Um, I remember trying to hack together um, uh, modem-based games in the um, in the early 90s to play with my friends because I I moved to go to grad school and I moved to go to work and I would keep in contact with my friends and I remember the little screech of the AOL connection. Um, the modem connection. I mean, nobody. A lot of people haven't. Don't even know what that is anymore. <laughs> but the little, the little screech and the and the satisfying, you know, resolution sound when a modem talked to another modem, um, and then I could play a game with one of my friends online. And um, so for me, in in a funny way, this isn't new. Um, and as the tools have gotten more and more sophisticated, it's just made it easier and easier and easier. But um, yeah, I've been I've been, I guess, puzzling over what this means for us as a human species in some ways for a long time.
0: And Mark, you are one of those rare people, because I don't believe we are many who manage to integrate life and work, especially remote life and work, very nicely. Now, my, I do wonder, does it feel the same now while we're going through this pandemic or is it a bit different from what mm. you've experienced before? Are there differences?
1: Mm, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I'm. I'll offer a perspective, but I'm probably not a good person to ask because for me, nothing has changed really. Um, what's changed for me day to day is I, I can't go down and have my coffee break at Starbucks. You know? so so I, I one of one of the rituals that I have as a remote worker, working at my home is I'll go on a morning walk and go get go sit in the Starbucks for half an hour, and I miss my star. I miss the Starbucks people, and, and so. But for me, life hasn't changed very much. Um, if anything, maybe this is going to sound strange, but if anything, it's gotten slightly better because I'm not traveling. Um, whereas before, I would get on a plane probably a couple times a month. I haven't gotten on a plane for quite some time. Um, and so, you know, me personally, this has been the way I've been used to living and working for a while. Um, when I think about my colleagues, especially my executive colleagues at Lambda School who who have not been working remote, um, they had a very tough first couple of weeks. Um, I think it's getting better for now. It getting easier and better for them now. But for them, it was a very, very hard adjustment going from their rituals of going, you know, even, the, even a commute, um, which of course they didn't love to commute, but they were used to the morning rituals, getting up, getting to office, spending time in office, focusing in the way that they did, um, and then, you know, going back home. And I think and we human beings are creatures of habit, and for a lot of people who have not been habituated to this model of working and living, it's a very hard break and um, I think people are resilient, so I even when I talked to the colleagues of mine that for which remote work was more of a challenge they're it's much easier for them now than it was, say in you know in early March when at least lambda we, we were pretty early at lambda school in, in closing our offices um, voluntary you know we, we jumped on the, on the situation quite early. Um, and even then it was interesting in that we, we weren't sure if we wanted to close that early, but we knew we had a good reason to believe what was going to come and we wanted to try to keep our employees as safe as possible. So we kind of shut down early, even though some people were worried about the impact on the business, but it proved to be a very wise decision. Um, I think people are learning that remote is, um, is tough, but can be done. And I think we'll probably see at the end of this um, many more companies going all remote, um, which will be a different kind of challenge. Um, so it'll be hard to get people back again, <laughs> um, I think, in some cases. Um, Especially
0: employees <laughs> who start to learn that, hey, this is possible and I can do my Yeah, this is possible. I'm, productive. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm I'm productive. Maybe I'm more productive sometimes. I get back some aspects of my life that that I didn't have, like travel, like, like commute. Um, that'll be a sort of different reconciliation is how do we get people back in offices? Um, I mean, some people I think will want to go back to offices and some people will, will recognize that this is a great way to work. Um, you know, so we're all sort of two adjustment phases and, and it'll be interesting to see people, um, go through that, that, that other side of it.
0: Mark, you've worked in a company which was all remote, but Lambda, Mm -hmm. you just told me, you were not initially all remote, right? It's e-learning, yeah. so part of what's happening between students and educators is remote, but the company in itself, it's not all remote. And That's you had right. to help them transition in these two, three weeks. And you were the expert in all remote. So can you share some of the things that maybe and actions that you have taken with Lambda to help them go through this period so others who are listening and are going through the same mm-hmm. can maybe borrow and learn from, from what you are doing?
1: Sure. Yeah, we had we had two offices, one in San Francisco, one in Utah, um, just out of, outside of Salt Lake City. And then about a third, maybe a little more than a third of our employees were remote. Um, since all of our students uh, learn this way, learn remote, our instructional staff is entirely remote. So a lot of our employees were very comfortable um, with remote work. But at the same time, a lot of people were used to going into offices. So it was a little bit of an adjustment. Um, it's funny, you know, I... I I think that there's various degrees of ex, quote unquote expertise on being remote. and And a lot of people started publishing things and and providing content within the first couple of weeks of sort of the the big shutdown, maybe about a month ago. Um and I, you know I wrote a couple things. Um, but I also want to be cautious in that I think those of us who are experts have to be you know somewhat um somewhat humble about it because nobody's been doing this very long. So expertise is just simply a matter of having done it a little bit longer than other people. And, and I also, it is also clear that not, remote work doesn't always come in the same size and shape. Um, so I think you've you mentioned that you've, you've watched my interview with, with Sid, um, the CEO at, at um, GitLab. GitLab has a very specific approach to remote working where they encourage multitasking, whereas, you know, and this is one thing that he and I talked about, I, I don't, personally feel that that's useful for me. So I actually, I train my teams to really focus and shut down distractions while they're trying to be present with people on a call. And of course there's, there's situations where that's probably more important. You know, if I were having a one-on-one with an employee who was struggling, I'm going to really want to focus and not, you know, be busy over on Slack while I'm trying to listen to them. Um, But I think the, the key with advice about remote is is advice about any change in a human system, which is you know, figure out the strategies to support each other. So one of the things that we did is we created a bunch of um, new Slack channels. One was a COVID-19 channel, which was just like share share news, share, um, ask questions, share things that you're concerned about. Um, and the other was a remote life channel where it was just post things that are, Interesting to you that are fun um, that are strategies because in some ways the crowd is going to be as as helpful as I can be um, and I've put so I got the channel going but a lot of people have added other stuff in there as well just and, and sometimes we just have fun there you know we post
0: videos yes. of our
1: animals jumping on us in the middle of a Zoom call or we um, you know post post jokes and snippets and cartoons about remote life so the way I think about the way I think about what are the strategies that ultimately make remote life work are, ironically, the same as what makes any kind of life work, whether or not you're in an office or remote, which is, you know, being human together. And, and the, the, best, the best, I guess, tips are, hey, does something make you feel more together? Do it. <laughs> does something seem to get in the way of human connection at the workplace? And, and then don't do it and revise it. Um, you know, and people have experimented with all sorts of things. I've um, I've tried unsuccessfully to have kind of remote breaks and lunches and happy hours, and they, they often seem to not, not work that well. I know some people have, you know, got some variation on that. But I've also tried things that are like remote, like remote, um, like remote literally like asking people if they want to jump on and play a game as, as staff members, like at the end of the day that works really well um, because there's a lot of systems that have been built to accommodate that kind of activity. Whereas we don't like have a remote bar (laughs) um, app. (laughs) Getting together and having food or or beverages is not, um, doesn't seem to be solved yet in terms of the remote experience. (laughs) Um, Whereas, you know, getting on and playing like a a virtual board game or, you know, any of that, that stuff, they have invented really great apps for that. So for me, it's all about what do we have as technologies that seem to work really well in, the digi- in a digitally connected life? And if we can use those to, to create great, you know, to create friendships, to sustain relationships, to build new relationships, all that stuff is stuff that would I would say is remote positive. Um, and then, the, you know, the demon, the head of the devil you're fighting is isolation with remote work. And, and anything that tends to increase isolation is something that you have to work to avoid.
0: That's one of the worries and one of everyone's fears. And then you touched on it with games and, and maybe remote uh, discussions and just mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Slack channels for complaining, just yeah, uh, anxiety mm-hmm. and everything, just releasing all those, uh, all those um, uh, fears. But yep. Sid sa- said at some point that these companies, and he was referring to yours and GitLab as well, they are more, one of the most social companies uh, that at least he worked for. Mm-hmm. How do you... Make it so. Or mm-hmm. what makes it? Do you get any kind of feedback from the employees, whether that's on Slack channel or just directly? or what what makes them stay in these all remote companies? Mm-hmm what makes them consider that, hey, it's still social, right? Even if we don't meet each other. And I've heard stories and I've, and I've read stories that you've published and, and said as well that people meet after four years, maybe in a remote camp or after one year and they hug mm. each other and they cry because mm-hmm. they've never, they've worked together, but they've yeah. never met each other, yeah. but still something glues them together. Whereas yeah. normal companies, hybrid companies or non-remote companies believe that being in the office is what, it is what glues people together.
1: Yeah, Well, I, I think, I think that what you just said, I think is really interesting and instructive where if, if somebody really believes that being in the office together at the same time is what makes a culture work, um, I mean, I, I just think they're deluded. Um, (laughs) I mean, I've been in, I've been in office buildings that are empty of life and energy and positive culture, even though people are sitting like, you know, five feet away from each other and, and literally knocking elbows. Um, And I've been in offices where people are, you know, where there's a sense of vibrancy and a sense of pleasure, and um, and that, you know, so just focusing on the on the physical environment for a second, because I think it tells us a lot about the remote environment. The you can have the same setup, you know, office one, office two, radically different expressions of culture and a sense of belongingness and a sense of participation. Um, Why? Because of leadership because of company values, because of um, you know company performance, like all the ingredients that go into um, the experience of being an employee in an organization um, have almost nothing to do with the walls you know, around it. It has to do with um, the, the, the people connections and the, and the way in which people are encouraged to show up and the way in which people actually do show up. So if we can kind of say for a second, physicality doesn't in and of itself lead to cultural bonding. It's how people live into that building, right? And how are people are led in that building that ultimately makes their experience positive or negative. The same is very much true of remote remote work. I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't know personally of any of these companies, but I'm sure they're all remote companies that are dreadful, um, you know, and isolating, and not fun, and like the same, di- same difference. You know, they, those companies are likely, um, you know, there's problems in the company, there are problems in leadership, cultural inconsistencies, all that kind of stuff. I like to think about the remote work as just like you're compressing um, lived experience through a digital channel as opposed to through sound waves, like in the air. And all that communication is still happening. It's just happening in two dimensions as opposed to three. Um, I'll, I'll tell a story way, maybe as a way of, of, of answering this in a, you know, with an exclamation point. is When I was at Envision, um, we had some employees who were in Puerto Rico when the hurricane came through. And um, we we knew we knew that we knew they they were you know in, in, in jeopardy to some degree. Um, luckily, they got out, and they um, they basically looked for any assistance in identifying means to leave, and they put put that into a staff uh, Slack channel where all all at that point I think it was like at least 500 employees were, and. Um, there was just an outpouring of not only assistance, but also emotional support for these two families um, that, were, that were living there. And for me, that kind of is indicative of the spirit or ethos of, that, of that, you know, that era, that company was, you know, people really cared about each other. And being all remote, especially during a time when all remote was very rare, did unify us. Like it was, hey, we're all in this together. Like we're all trying to make all remote work. And that is a very important cultural you know, impact. It's like, hey, you know, we're all struggling against the same force, which is isolation, and we're all doing it together. Um, when you look at any company and its ability to, I would say, like conquer the the all remote reality, you know, do you encourage and permit employees to um, and to share and to be with and to participate, and to have voice, that's that's all you do at successful in-person companies, too. Um, for me, it has a lot to do with a, both a sense of belonging um, and also a sense of being heard. Like, do I feel like I am welcomed, and do I feel like I have a voice? If you can do that in an in-person company, you will have a very successful culture. If you can do that in a remote company, you will have a very successful culture. If you fail to do that in either environment, it's going to be a problem. <laughs>
0: Did you have, or and do you do you have the same, uh, policy of transparency that GitLab has?
1: Not, I mean, GitLab is famous for how radical they've gone on that. Um, so no, I mean, meaning like, like when I was at Envision, we didn't have that same policy and Lambda doesn't quite have that same policy either. Uh, Lambda is a very transparent company. We share a lot of what's going on with the employee, we, we share effectively everything that's going on. I mean, I think GitLab is famous for documenting literally, um, every single decision, um, I mean, that's, I, I have a lot of respect for that commitment and the degree to which they are consistent in that commitment. It requires, um, I mean, it almost goes very well with their particular company product as well. Like, you know, <laughs> they're, it's a documentation company of a kind, like in a storage company. So it, it, goes, it, it meshes very well with their practice. I think the degree of transparency that GitLab embraces is, is not necessarily the same transparency that every other company who is remote would get the same benefits from, yeah, so you know that's so no, but I,
0: I haven't I, seen anything <laughs> as transparent honestly, and I was no, looking no. for that because it's it feels like yeah, everything is out on the table, but on the yeah. other hand, it's hard to manage as well on on the back end, right? So yeah. it's not it takes a lot it's, a of, w- it takes a lot
1: of work. Table. It takes a lot of commitment and yeah. it doesn't have it does have some interesting consequences, um, which can be difficult to manage. And so again, like i I have, I have a tremendous amount of respect for that choice and the degree to which the consistency of that choice is, is present in their company. Um, other companies, like in some ways you wouldn't want to, I would not want to take a company that transparent until, until it was structurally and procedurally ready because you can't, it's almost like you, if you go that direction, you have to stay there and have all the systems ready to make that work. If you kind of try to do it and it, don't do it thoroughly; it'll actually be worse.
0: <laughs> I, I I agree, and it's a promise as well. You can't go back right. on that promise. That's right. Um, it it will be That's hurting right. for for sure. That's right. Now you 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 said leadership, culture, trust, care, right? You you are hiring people and leaders, and you've hired them people who have not worked remote before, who don't know mm-hmm. how to manage remote. Mm-hmm. And most of what I've heard in this crisis is we're not trusting our people. We want them to be 100% on Zoom all the time. Uh, there are always mm. meetings. I have friends uh, working in HR who are literally nonstop in meetings, mm-hmm. really trying to control what's happening out, out there, right? How do you get them from outside without or remote experience and mm-hmm. what kind of training? What kind of support do you give them so they can transition, embrace the culture? Not only that, but model the culture afterwards, so their people are feel engaged. They 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 mm-hmm. they share the same care. They share the same trust.
1: Oh boy! Yeah, <laughs> I think I think if I knew a, if I knew the perfect answer to that question, you know, I, I probably
0: this is what researchers I'd, tell I'd me as well. I'd be a popular well. guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> uh, so. So my my experience with remote leadership um, points to a few a few things, um, and and I'll I'll quote um, a former colleague of mine named Bjorn um, Bjorn Freeman benson who was CTO at Envision for a while. He he had the following observation. He thought that remote work all remote work required a leader. If you have a director level job, for example, his opinion was thinking like an engineer use math. Is you have to hire like a director plus one level up in terms of the capability of the leader coming in. And what he meant by that is remote work demands more from a leader than in-person work. I think he's right. Um, so I'm not sure it's quite as mathematically simple as just if you're if you need a director, go and hire a VP um, for the job at a remote company. That doesn't always work exactly perfectly like that. But I think his point is a really good one, which is it does require something extra. I think I know what that extra is, which is something that I would expand on what, what is kind of the, the Bjorn theorem, is a leadership, um, authentic and empathetic leadership shows up very, very well in remote because it's, almost the, it's the fuel that keeps your team um, from feeling isolated and ultimately from feeling um, alienated. So if I'm, if I'm capable or if the leaders in a company are capable of reaching through the digital screen and connecting and having the people on the other end feel seen and heard, um, it's kind of like that, that sparkle of energy that, that makes people feel like I'm, I'm here, I'm here alone in my apartment or my home or wherever, but I know my leader cares about me. And, and that, that gives me a lot of ammunition and juice and energy to continue to show up Remote. On the contrast, if a if a leader um, if a leader is not naturally adept at communicating in ways that help his or her employees feel seen and heard, it also can really show up. And so I've seen leaders who are who are who are strong leaders in in almost every way, um, and who are strong leaders almost certainly in person some of those styles don't, tr- don't translate well to a remote environment. So, for example, there are leaders who um, are really effective um, be- but in the way that they wander amongst their you know, quote-unquote troops and, and just be present, and people can cue off of them like, oh, they're kind of up today, they're energetic, but they're not necessarily great at the, at the bonding-level conversations when it comes to their employees. Um, that unfortunately can really trip people up. It's it's almost you know like leadership communications and authenticity, um, directness, um, empathy, is is like almost at an extra premium. Our ability to do that as leaders remote is much more important. So those gaps show up really you know very quickly. So how can we help people? Well, for one, I think remote environments it's important to go and get leaders who are who are strong in those ways, and try to select for it. There's a lot of, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of problems with long-term performance are due to bad selection. Like, is this, is this person going to be successful? (laughs) So um, when you have people who, who are struggling, um, I think the key is to help them understand why they might be struggling and why they might be failing to connect with people on the other end of the, of the call. And for me, the advice that I've given leaders and, and the training that that both I and members of my former teams and my teams today focus on is, hey, like slow down and make sure that in this environment you spend the time to connect. If you, are, like if you jump to procedure and if you jump to delegation and jump to issuing commands, um, you're missing an opportunity and also a need for people to feel like they're bonding with you. Uh, it's a really hard thing to get people to mentally switch on who are not accustomed to it and it's really important.
0: Do you provide them with I don't know buddies in remote work? Someone who stays next to them and says you're too direct, you're giving too many procedures, yeah. too many commands. Do they? Do you? Do you pair them um, with someone who's really yeah. good or not? Um, I
1: mean, coach. Uh, so I, 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 I'm I'm a strong supporter of of coaching in the right circumstances for someone who needs coaching help. Um, buddy, I mean I, Buddy programs sometimes work and sometimes just flop um, because it's it's optional and sometimes your buddy knows how to help you sometimes they don't. Um, I think there probably is going to be a more and more important role for um, executive or managerial coaches who are not just coaching for generic skills but coaching for being successful remote. Um, and that's um, I was I was working with a a friend of mine who is a um, like a present a public presentation. An executive presence coach. And for him, this has been a real challenging time because he's used to going and working with people in person. Um, and he's, a, he's phenomenal at what he does. Um, but he, he uh, called me up and he said, Hey, you know, I have to do this piece of work now for a, for a CEO. And I can't, I can't fly. Like I can't fly to New York and meet them. I said, Well, I said, you know, I said, what, what would be different? Like what, what's, what's challenging for you about that? And he said, he said, well, what I'm really doing in this environment is I'm doing media training. And he was focused on the, his anchor conceptually was, this is, this is like a camera. I mean, it is a camera. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a camera, but I said, I said, Hey, and his name is Russ. I said, Russ, I want you to reframe that because um, yes, if we're preparing somebody for a televised interview in formal terms, then you're doing media training, but that's not what, This person needs. This person just needs to be themselves in relationship with his employees over Zoom. Zoom is, you know, Zoom is just a Zoom isn't a formal medium. We work on Zoom, like so. You're just doing the same thing. What you have to do is adapt the the work you're doing to a two-dimensional medium. And so we like we kind of thought about it differently and thought that hey, all the stuff that we do to help people be um, be comfortable leading other people applies here. It just, you have to think about it as a, as, as pixels. <laughs> like, you know, you and I are pixels right now, you, yeah, but that doesn't mean I can't get a feel for how this conversation is going, or doesn't mean that I don't enjoy it when you smile and doesn't mean, you know, I'm, I'm attentive to you as a person, even though I'm just watch, watching, like literally ones and zeros ultimately on a screen. <laughs>
0: Definitely, but then you t- your head translates it back into a three-dimensional dim- discussion, uh, right. right? I, y- if you, if I listen to you, I can feel your energy. I can feel, hey, uh, you are you are smiling, right? You are not upset. Uh, right. You are engaged in the conversation. You are focused. So, I think listening and focusing, and I'm with you on this. I'm. I I will ask Darren as, as as well about the multitasking, but I'm with you on this. Focusing and really being present in a remote conversation makes it way better at least for me it,
1: well for the ones that I think so I would say but because I do respect the opinions of yeah. like I I'm in meetings sometimes and I'm multitask and and so I break my own rule but I uh, the key for me is is this a time where my primary objective is to create sustain or foster a better relationship like what I sit what I sit across from you like having coffee and be on my my laptop while we're talking. I mean, no, because I'm there to connect with you. If I'm there to connect with you, like I'm going to be present and focus on you and focus on, on like hearing you and sharing ideas and the back and forth. If we're in a big conference room in person with 50 people and somebody is presenting PowerPoints, there's a pretty strong temptation, even in a physical room to do something like, I don't blame people. Like it's, Something You're actually getting information about the meeting, like it's like, well, if I'm tempted to multitask, it's probably because what's happening right now isn't important for me.
0: Exactly, you shouldn't be so, there, but that's one of the yeah. issues with meetings, whether they're remote right. or face-to-face. Right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> who gets who gets to attend? Exactly. <laughs> now, Mar, let me ask you, I have two a bit more technical questions, because I've mm-hmm. been speaking to researchers, right? And uh, you will see uh, every week we will have a new episode coming out. And uh, one of them was about coordination, right? So Mm -hmm. they've been researching about three types of coordination. One was about modularization. So this is when you split the tasks of people in such Mm -hmm. a way that they don't have to collaborate remotely. Mm -hmm. The other one was ongoing communication. What's happening right now, uh, which is more synchronous collaboration, right? When Mm -hmm. you're trying to really uh, duplicate what's happening in the office, right? And really having people online nonstop Mm -hmm. so so you can... uh, control what's happening Mm -hmm. and then the third one that they figured out works really nicely is tacit coordination right which is more uh using repositories using asynchronous uh Mm -hmm. coordination Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now what they are wondering and they are researching is what's the right mix of this Mm -hmm. because it's i and it feels like it's normal it's not one or another yeah what would be your reflections on this Mm -hmm. what what did you see happening in the real world
1: yeah um i so i think that um one of the things that's harder to do with teams in a remote environment is um and using a using a formal term from business theory mutual adjustment like meaning calibration that happens not formally like like i can i can bring everybody together who reports to me or i can bring a project team together that reports to me And I can issue a bunch of marching orders. And then everybody leaves the room. Um, In a physical environment, you do have an advantage in that those people, as they walk back to their offices and desks, um, they're already processing. Like, So if I'm walking literally back to my desk uh, with someone who is in that meeting, and there's a question I didn't think to ask in the meeting, right? and I just check with my colleague on the team, or I check with me as a team leader, and I say, hey, when you said blank, did you mean X or did you mean Y? And that takes 10 seconds. And I say, oh yeah, I meant, I meant Y. Right, okay. Um, when we're all in person, I think we do have a greater tendency to mutually adjust and to calibrate, like I would say like quickly calibrate or like informal calibration um, because it's easier. Like I can pop my head out from my cubicle or what, I can just say, hey, are you, are you working on that right now? Now, you know, that, that lends itself to, to quick adjustments and I think we're probably more efficient doing those quick adjustments, generally speaking, in person. What we have to do in remote is we have to use technologies to do that. Now, of course, just literally the effort of having to type, having to open Slack or an email, like there's there's there are barriers to doing that um, in a remote environment that make it that create friction. Like I think about, you know, friction in an environment makes it harder or sometimes more painful or you know, more heated. And the, the quick calibration primarily, I think, in our day and age happens on Slack or Slack like, you know, um, or Teams, basically utilities for instant messaging. Um, the problem, right, and this is what people often complain about, is that if, I were, if we think of the metaphor as being we're all in a cubicle row and I have a question of everybody who's working on the same stuff, and I literally pop my head out of the cubicle and I say, you know, Yulia, are you working on this thing right now? Can I ask you a question? Um, now I would see, if you are on a phone call, right? <laughs> and I wouldn't pop my head out and start speaking to you. Our instant messaging you know, programs, um, while there are various technical things that I can do to signal that I'm busy or in a meeting, or a lot of people don't do that with regularity, a lot of people ignore it anyway. And so there's this constant barrage of, like, I may be in a meeting, but you're still asking me a calibration question. That leads to a delay, like literally a delay loop. So. I'm in a meeting, you Slack me, you say, hey, Mark, was it X or Y when you talked about it at the meeting? And you wait, and you wait, and you wait. and you, you might, Not because I'm, I don't care about you, but because I'm busy and you can't see that I'm busy, you know, or because I haven't put on in a meeting or busy or away from desk. And then you wait and you, you have to stop working, right? So you're not working on that thing now and you're like, mm-hmm, and you begin to get a little frustrated, like, hmm. Because we expect, of course, instant response like, <laughs> from these technologies. So it does create like, more friction and more time delays, and ultimately, I think, more um, bottlenecking on quick calibration stuff. My solve, which I think you know, is, is the best solve you get, really, is I try, I try to be as transparent and inclusive as possible and communicate more than I would otherwise communicate in an in-person environment. So, it's almost like when I create delegation, um, I risk, you know, giving people way more than they would need if I were meeting, um, which can almost sound sometimes like over, over um, I mean, not micromanaging, but like over supervising, like, like here's everything that you're going to do. You are going to get this, you are going to get this, you're going to get, like, it's, it's just, it's very, very specific. And it's sometimes very, very detailed. I have found that that generally speaking um, prevents some of the mutual adjustment delays from creeping in. even though they still happen, you're like over communicating what you need from a project at the front end, um, which does allow people to have the clarity. Like even in in-person stuff, people often walk away from delegation. they don't understand what they're supposed to do. In remote, it's even more of a risk. So I mean the answer, I mean I guess at the end of the day, the answer is communication, but i Sometimes people say that and it's a little bit pithy. It's like, well, what do you mean communicate? It's, it's being, it's really practicing being as specific and clear and even over communicating, especially when you ask people to do things, um, you know, because you can't see that they walk away confused. Like, you know, Hey, this is what you're going to do. And you, you nod because you're my report, yeah. you know, and you, you nod because I'm asking you to do it. And then, you, you're puzzled an hour later, but you're like, oh, he's busy probably. I'm not going to ask him. And then days go by. Right?
0: Definitely. So is there, do you get into the situation where people blame others that they are not replying very quickly, that they are not uh, on time on meetings? And how do you counter that? Because I imagine yeah. that that happens as well, right? And usually if it's remote, at least that's, this is what uh, the guys I've been talking with said so far, it's always an us versus them because you're not feeling them closely, right? You've never met them. Yeah. And then you can get to conclusions that, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Spanish, of course, is always late five minutes, right? And then you usually it becomes personal rather than really logistical or understanding yep. that that person actually had some issues.
1: I, yeah, I, I think... Um So what I've observed is the remote environment can create situations where people take one cue from a certain specific incidence and they write their story of that person or that behavior and they write it much more concretely than they would otherwise. So here's a very quick example. You get on a call with your manager. Your manager's having a bad day um, or maybe even a bad hour and she is huffy or you know upset and um as the you know as that manager is talking to you you get the feeling that you are in trouble you know that's that you've done something wrong you walk away from that meeting and you're like I you know am I is my job at risk? Have I failed? Okay. What you don't see is half a day later, or like literally hours later, that manager is Walking to the lunchroom and seems, you know, smile on her face, um, energized, you know, engaged. And and you recalibrate. You're like, oh, right. It, you know, and you, you start to wonder whether that was, you know, was you or not. And what you also didn't see was in the morning, um, you know, that particular manager has um, a whole bunch of complications with taking their children, you know, from home to, daycare, and they, they weren't ever upset at you. <laughs> it was just a really difficult morning. And so they come into the meeting and they're upset, but like you didn't see any of that happen. All you see is the half hour one-on-one and you write a script is, it must be about me. So the risks with the remote are is that it's so easy to take a small cue behaviorally and believe that um, that is everything that is happening in the world for that person. And you don't see any of the context. We do get a lot of that context in, in person. So the, the remedy there, I think, is I mean, first to, to, to slow down and stop and connect at the beginning of remote calls. So some of the practices that we tried to do um, at Envision and I'm trying to do with my team that remote here at Lambda is like, try to always start a Zoom meeting with something that's humanly connective. You know, you know, how is it going? Like, just, just small things. Like Don't launch into the business of the meeting. We don't do that when we're in person. Let's not do it. <laughs> And, Zoom. Um, and and try to make sure if, you, if you're if you're worried about the emotional state or the or the thoughts that are happening that you're you're getting this impression that maybe something is off check like we got to get really good at being open with each other because the tendency of the digital medium is it compresses everything and this doesn't give us a lot of space so peel it back up and say like you know are you like hey yulia like it looks like maybe you're like, are you okay? You know, like get get curious about these things, so we don't end up having these scripts about people. And I think that's that's the way to get through it. Well,
0: True. Maybe at the end of this uh, pandemic, we will get out with some really good behaviors, like really being transparent, asking questions, I hope so. giving <laughs> feedback. I hope so as well. I really, truly hope so.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, if that if that I mean not that we needed a pandemic to help us do that, but I you know the um, yeah. You know, The way I see it is that the way you have to work remotely to be a good team member, leader, employee, customer, client, you know, everything about remote just makes it harder to be humanly connective. So you got to work those muscles a lot harder. Um, I hope working those muscles really hard makes you just a better person. I think it does. So if that, if we have to do that, Um, And practice that. I mean, I also know, unfortunately, that there's a lot more incidents of domestic abuse right now because of the situation, at least in the United States. So you're seeing the opposite end of the spectrum, which is when people don't have any outlet and they can't, they're forced into close quarters, other bad things happen. So I think it's, what I think it's revealing is that we still have a long way to go as, um, as a species um to be kind <laughs> to,
0: and I, to each I, other i will have a discussion with uh, mark van fucht from uh, the Freie mm-hmm. university here in amsterdam uh, mm-hmm. he's um, he's a psychologist and then he, we will talk about how working remote really goes against our nature and and mm-hmm. working in close quarter goes against our nature right it's it's not how we are supposed to or, or it's not mm-hmm. how we grew up so i'm kind of curious about that uh, that conversation as well uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, that's
1: interesting. I would say, I guess I'm, maybe I'm a futurist in this regard, but I'm not sure what human nature is exactly. I think, you know, there's human conditioning yeah, and then there's, and then there's human adaptation. I think there are people for whom increasingly there are people in our, in this economy, in the tech sector economy for whom isolation is the norm. And if you ask them to go into an office with a lot of people, they are uncomfortable. And I, I think, you know, 50 years from now, it might be really, really awkward for some people, you know, hey, you have to come and meet people face to face. They might be very uncomfortable about that because this is their, this is their, yeah. this is their comfort zone. So, you know, we're, we're a funny animal and that we adapt around our technology pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so
0: it, it's faster than, uh, than sometimes, sometimes you would think, right. It's, yeah. it's really happening <laughs> extremely fast. <clears throat> yes. now, I was talking yesterday. I have another technical question. Mm -hmm. With another researcher and then I promised her that I will ask someone who's actually putting this in practice, right? Her research is really pioneering and it talks about cultural and temporal brokerage in Mm -hmm. uh, distributed work. Mm -hmm. So pretty much what's happening is that if you put a person in a team that is multicultural, let's say um, American and Brazilian, right? Mm -hmm. And that particular person has worked uh, with both cultures, Uh, Mm -hmm. four or five years and so on, then they become these cultural brokers where uh, the other team members rely on them to translate what's happening, right? Mm. And then you can have, these are called insiders because they've Mm -hmm. witnessed both cultures. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. then you have outsiders as well, someone who maybe worked in France and Romania, and then they can still broker that relationship in multicultural teams because they know and they can ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. So, So the teams reveal what's happening, Right. Mm-hmm. And it happens the same in temporal brokerage. Apparently, if uh, there is a person sitting somewhere in the middle uh, time-wise, right, let's say mm-hmm. Europe when you deal with America and, and Asia, then they take on that uh, integration role because mm-hmm. the other parts cannot really uh, collaborate, right? It takes them more time to do it, right? So they need a bit more slack. But on the other on the other hand, it they also can bring up way more value because they're able to integrate that knowledge and they gain that inter- integration capacity as well. Mm-hmm. Now... She knows this because she's running research on it, but she has never discussed with any uh, company that has worked all remote. Mm-hmm. Did you witness mm-hmm. the same kind of brokerage in terms of culture and time mm-hmm. in all remote mm-hmm. companies where you work really distributed?
1: Yeah, the the, the time one's interesting. Like I, I'm not by choice, but I happen to be in Central Time in, in the U.S. and I've I've often found it's the best, it's the easiest time zone to deal with. Um, i uh I had teammates and and colleagues who were on pacific uh, and envision was if anything slightly tilted towards eastern time but really we tried to we tried to eliminate at least across the united states time zone disparities by focusing the work day on the middle part of the day for the most part um but I always felt like I had the best of of every you know i, I come right dead center um The you know the, the brokerage angle is interesting. I think. I think that I mean I would almost think of it like pivot points where um, there's lag. There's like like so when I think about when I think about time zones and remote work, it's almost like this wave that moves across up geography, and so the folks you know at least speaking only about the U.S. for a second, you know, the wave kicks off um, at about whatever. Eight o'clock a.m. Eastern time, and people, obviously in Pacific Coast, are almost all asleep. And work begins to generate, and if I think of the aggregate work, the work generates and creates this um, this backlog. And as the backlog grows, what happens when you wake up on Pacific Coast is there's already all this work, you know, waiting for you, and you're digging out of your debt, you know, for the first part of your day, and then you're finishing your day and creating debt overnight for, you know, back for the other coast. And I traveled quite a bit. Like I would go, I go to um, uh, Vancouver, Canada every summer to visit my wife's family. And I work, I, I will work there. And my experience of working on Pacific time versus central time versus Eastern time is radically different. Um, and I have to, I have to, I have to approach my day radically different. So I think that make like one of the keys to, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I much, I'd have to see her research to know how to comment exactly on her thesis about the people, but what I think is true is you need you need a blend um, and you need ways that this wave doesn't just crash. Like if you had imagine if you had a, a whole group of east coast workers who are only focused on their time zone and pacific coast workers only focused on the, you'd have this wave of billing every day smashing into the pacific and then repeating and smashing back on east coast. I think where you have work that's more, where you create some norms about, hey, don't like release, unless it's like very specific code development that has specific management of releases, like don't just create this wave of work for somebody as soon as they wake up, they're like, oh, I'm behind already. So be be cognizant of that. And I try to train my teams to be at least cognizant of that backlog that you create. Um, I'll have to think a little bit more about, about both of those. The, the cultural one is um I think I think generally yes, I don't I don't know if it works any different remote and in, in, in person. I think no, I think it's, that's always it's, the case. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's not
0: the difference, right? It's yeah. it's just that it exists and then uh, what she proved basically that having this cultural brokers improves the performance of the team. And it yes. improves creativity. It improves their innovation. It improves just generally their performance because there's someone to mediate the relationship so conflicts don't don't end up happening as as often as yeah, or they get absolutely. Really I, yeah, very, that very is quickly.
1: that is absolutely the case, also in remote companies, mm-hmm. maybe even more pronounced in some ways. I think about it both in terms of international diversity, but also just even in um, an eth- ethnic and gender diversity and other other uh, questions of difference. Um, the teams that I manage that have um, strong diversity, but also a very deep sense of inclus- like inclusivity, mm-hmm. um, are much higher engaged um, and, and much easier, I think, to, um, to feel seen and heard and be, be a strong participant in.
0: I will, if you're okay, I will send you her research. Her name is Sujin Yang. Of course. She's an assistant yeah. professor at INSEAD. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, really, truly interesting. And it's really pioneering because no one has re- researched this before. So all her papers are quite uh, new, 2018, 2020. Yeah. Really sure. interesting. <laughs> Perfect. Thank I'll you. do that. Uh, I had a question from uh, LinkedIn. Uh, actually, yep. multiple questions, but they, they yep. led to the same uh, question for you. Yep. Customers. A lot of people are used to dealing with customers face to face, going mm-hmm. to meetings, impressing mm-hmm. them by their presence. How do you deal with them all remotely? Do you have any solution yeah. to that? Anything that yeah. works?
1: I think I think part of what you do is you train them on this new reality. So that that's one thing that Envision we really got used to is we would have customers that were not comfortable with remote. You almost you almost train them. You know, so it starts with hey, let's like you know you're not going to be able to meet face to face. So sometimes people are they they don't. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're using Zoom or another technology, but it's almost you know let's just jump on a phone call. Like that's fine, but next time, could we try a video call? And then they're like, oh, well, sure. And then you help them adjust to the medium, you know, and increasingly people are getting more and more comfortable with this. Obviously the circumstance we're in right now is making people comfortable with video who weren't, but it's almost as if you are saying, you know, let's, let's practice working together this way. Um, and, and being flexible because obviously I have, I have, um, uh, I mean I've had clients and I've had um relationships where people just don't just struggle being video connected and f- either f- if we're not going to meet in person phone is their is their medium i try to I try to explain to them why this is an improvement you know why sometimes I'll be happy to have a voice conversation, but seeing you is is great for you know it's is fun <laughs> you know it's it's, it's um it, it's it helps connecting. me it's more connecting you know it' more connecting we get we get to build our relationship i um I have, a, it's so funny, I have a financial advisor who lives in downtown Austin. Um, he's great, uh, but he's very old school. Like he, whenever we're going to meet, he wants me to drive downtown and park and go in and sit in the office. Even if I'm going down for half an hour and signing some papers, he's just very, you know, he's a little older than I am. And um, it's for him. That's what it means to, to relate to a customer. Right. I've gradually tried to <laughs> help it. Like, Hey, you want to try, you want to try a video call? You know, and I can't quite get him there yet but it's almost sort trying to say like, live this way for me, like just, just try this. Um, and I think with customers, um, I mean, right now we're all forced to, you know, and we will be for a little bit while longer, but when we're, when we're back to the physicality, um, you know, it's, it's not only a reasonable way to relate, but it also is, is, is less expensive. Like if I'm a, if I'm a professional service provider, and I'm saying, hey, Yuli, I'm going to come and do some work with you, and I'm going to fly to Amsterdam, and here's, you know, a couple thousand dollar reimbursement, you know, part to my bill. <laughs> you know, if you're con- if you're conscious that this can work, you know, as a customer, you're going to be like, hey, let's have a Zoom call instead. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot less expensive. So, there's times when I will want to even post COVID go and see people, and that's not going to change. Um, the one thing that I find is really hard to do in a deep way. Is build very very deep trust. Um, there's you can work on trust, you can build a relationship. What I do with my teams anyway is I will still bring them together frequently enough, literally for us just to sit in a room together and then go out and eat, like look like just just to create deeper relationships because it's almost what I get in those moments is well worth the travel expense. Um, so you know there'll be times I want to see my customer. But I can gradually say like, hey, it's it's easier for both of us and it's cheaper for both of us. Let's, let's try it out for a little bit.
0: (laughs) Mark, you have been asked a lot of questions by a lot of people. You've written articles. Is there something that you always wanted to say or always wanted to be asked and no one asked you about remote work? Um,
1: hmm. Yeah. I guess a question I've never been asked, or maybe in this way, would be um, why, you know, is, isn't it more fun to be, isn't it just more fun and pleasurable to be in person, you know, with other people? And I know that's a good question. Um, like I wouldn't want to be remote from my family. When I leave, when I go on a trip, um, when I go on a work trip, not these days, but when, you know, when I get on a plane, I, I hate being away. Like I just, and, and getting on the video call is not good enough. Um, you know, and, um, I have a, you know, a, a daughter in her twenties and she lives in a different city and I, you know, I get on remote and we say hi. And it's, you know, it doesn't take the place of her traveling to visit or you know, me traveling there. So, you know, on a certain level, like, even though my, I guess I'm a remote evangelist, I would never be so I would never be one to say I can replace my life with a screen. Um, I I don't want to, I have no intention, nor would I want to. And the idea of replacing my human connections across the board with a screen, you know, is kind of horrific to me. So even that's it's it's funny, like despite what I've said and wrote, like I have no intention of replacing my connect my human connections and screen. Um, So no, I think we, what we, What we have to remember is that um, there's going to be relationships in our lives that cannot be replicated um, through the screen and through remote. Um, And that tells you something. It means that, well, there's also going to be, it's it's harder to sustain and to have good work relationships um, remote. And I agree, it is harder. Um, The interesting thing is that being remote actually allows us to create some interesting different trades on that. Remote working does let me maximize more time with my family I'm not, I'm not commuting I I see my girls when they come home from school like so for me it is a it is a trade that allows me to be more present physically for people that I care about um and while it I'm not as present for people in the office like for me it's on the on balance I'd prefer it that way um I do think that you know there's gains and losses with any technology it's not like having remote is completely maximally better across the board. Having remote gives us different choices and um, it almost reminds us about what it means to be a human being and what it means to be connected and, and, and in person, you know, so in some ways remote has allowed me to stay connected with like friends that I um, don't see very frequently. And for that, I am so thankful because I can see them and I can hang with them and we can know enjoy activities together and they live in new york or they live in wisconsin or they live in vancouver or you know wherever um it doesn't mean that i don't want to see them again like in person it actually reminds me that i get to still have a relationship and if i and if we didn't have these technologies i'd probably lose touch with them so you know i'm so thankful that it creates a conduit but it doesn't take the place you know of of in-person lived experience, and I guess that's the—that's the both the benefit. But I do—I—I I, have—I personally have no intention of kind of retreating into an all-remote life. It's just a way to relate that actually allows me to relate much more broadly um, and spread out.
0: Mark, thank you so much for today. <laughs> of thank you for your time. Thank you for your involvement, your engagement, <laughs> and your energy. It was really great fun.
1: A pleasure. Thank you for asking me.